Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to the HTI Open Plaza podcast. My name is Joanne Rodriguez, and I'm the executive director of the Hispanic Theological Initiative. I have the great pleasure to be speaking today to Dr. Aida Calderon Pulaski, Old Testament scholar at St. Anselm College, and Dr. Maria Carrion, literature professor at Emory University. They're going to take some, a little time now to introduce themselves and tell a little bit about what they do. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks for the invitation. It's an honor to be here with Aida and with you. My name is Maria Mercedes Carrion, as you said. I am professor of literature and also of religion at Emory University. I'm currently uh, chairing the Department of Religion in the college, and also I am working with the Graduate Division of Religion, which connects with Candler School of Theology. Uh, my area of expertise is Counter-Reformation Spain, all the issues of church and state and history of theological decisions made there. Um, and, you know, I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Joanne. So this is Aida Calderon-Pilarski. I'm professor of Old Testament Hebrew Bible at St. Anselm College. And uh, at the time we were going through the program, the Latinas in Leadership, I was chair of the theology department. And uh, this program really empowered me to advance into other leadership uh, opportunities. Like, for example, I'm currently the president-elect of the Academy of Catholic Hispanic Theologians in the U.S. Thank you for the invitation. You're very welcome. Thank you for sharing about um, just moving into those leadership roles. So let me just give a little context to the Latinas in Leadership Program. That was a program that was developed um, in 2021, and we began with a cohort of 14 women. And the reason why we began that program was because I noticed in theological education that there were no Latina presidents or deans at the moment. Now we have at least two um, and thankfully, we have another two because of the Latina Leadership Program. We're still working towards getting more presidents, and we hope that that will continue to happen in the next year or two. You were both participating in the program, Aida as a sage, and you can tell a little bit about that experience, and Maria as a participant that had to go through a selection process. So I'd like to hear a little bit about your role, Aida, as a sage in the program. Yes, the, as the program was being conceptualized, uh, this was going to be the first time we knew there was a need for more Latinas in senior leadership positions in uh, theological education. And the way it was structured, there were two groups, as uh, Joanne mentioned. There were the sages, so those that have already some leadership experience in different positions, and uh, then there were the participants that were invited to, to the program. That first group, the sages, were invited to then do the brainstorming at the beginning to then talk about what areas, what aspects need to be covered in a program like this. So it was a nice thing, a nice opportunity to not only envision what this program could be, but also participating and getting to uh, learn from the wisdom of the group. 
and building a program that would be addressing the, the needs of the women that were participating in the program as well. It was a new program, and it was a wonderful way to build it together. Um, so the sages participated in what we call now a holistic approach to leadership. Can you share a little bit about that uh, and some of the aspects of the holistic piece of the program? Yes, and uh, actually in, in HTI, the Hispanic Theological Initiative, and especially in this group, I received a title from the group, and it was called the Queen of Acronyms or the Acronym <laughs> Queen. And of course, that's how my mind works. And after the experience that we had of almost 18 months, uh, when we and started in Zoom, and it started in Zoom because of COVID, yeah, um, I tried to think of an acronym that will reflect this holistic approach. And the word that came to mind was SALT, S-A-L-T. And what inspired it was this passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13, which says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? And, and I think that was the experience that we realized that we were already exercising leadership in many different ways. But given the context in the United States especially, uh, that way of being leaders had been sort of tamed down. And we realized that no, that's the richness that we bring to leadership. And uh, going back to the acronym, so the S, stands for self-care and that's how the program started the first part of the program the second letter was a for assessments and we did do quite a bit of uh, those had access to professional assessments to understand what were our strengths for leadership uh, that was very helpful in empowering us the L is for leadership journeys, because through the program we got to, not only uh, was presented to us a framework on women's leadership, but it helps us develop our confidence, competence, and creativity. And the T was for the toolbox, which is that final stage of the program where we were really given access to resources and to testimonies that uh, were so enriching and so it made it more, um, it gave us hope that we really were ready to step into any leadership position. And, uh, but having access to that toolbox was incredible. So, salt. Thank you for that. I think that one of the things that we saw too, as you mentioned, was we were very um, creative and intentional about bringing leaders that were already in the positions that we were aspiring to, to share their stories as well. So it was very, like we like to say in HTI, in conjunto. The sages helped build the program together. We brought specific partners that could speak to different topics, um, to do, do the assessments. And, um, and so there was these, this holistic way of approaching leadership that wasn't just about productivity. It wasn't just about um, the specifics 
tools that you need just for leadership, but more so to look at the entire person and say, okay, what is your unique giftedness and how can you lead with that gift? Maria, can you share a little bit about your experience? Yeah, actually, uh, as, a, as a participant, I have to say that I joined a group of people who already knew each other and especially the sages have known each other for a while, but it, there was never a sense of class system. We were all working together in recreating, you know, the definitions of what leadership means. Uh, how is it that we achieve that, not just with paths already set, but with our own creativity, with our own ways to lead. Um, and for me, I, I, I have entered the field of religion very late in my life, you know, just a decade from retiring. Um, so to think about leadership, you know, presidentially, it was, it was, you know, not completely out of the picture, but it was something that didn't belong to me as much as it did to the younger participants who are looking at a whole life ahead of them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I never felt more or less than anyone, and, and I feel that that's exactly what was happening with all the participants. As a participant, I was able to see firsthand, for instance, how do headhunters work. Yes. I have participated in searches for deans and searches for directors of university museum and so forth and so on. But how to, to, to speak with the headhunters firsthand as we did it was eye-opening to and talk about they're there to collaborate exactly with you and exactly to work with you exactly. and to shape how you present yourself for a job exactly post. exactly and it, it was it was eye-opening you know I, I had just been named chair a year before we were in the middle of the pandemic so for me it was one of I call them affectionately my three rabbis, you know, they're wonderful, they're three professors in the department. And uh, they, they have told me that I have enormous capacity for pastoral care. I didn't know I had that. And in no small part was because I discovered, you know, the skills that I had and I was able to name needs, but also capacities that I had in, in being with other Latinas in the same room. Uh, it's not the same thing to learn about this when you're surrounded by people who are not, you know, Latinos or Latinas. And this this was, I just wish it had happened a long time ago, <laughs> but better late than never. And, uh, yes. you know, we, we mentioned many times how important it is that we all think about younger generations. Yes. And how Latinas in leadership is not just about us, those of us who were in the room, but as the legacy that we can leave by learning to mentor and learning to be together and work together and, and you know, kind of bring in uh, younger generations. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think we needed the time yes. to rejuvenate, um, build the toolkit that yeah. you mentioned yeah. to, one, discern our own leadership Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And second, how do we um, feed that and support yeah. it and make it, I guess, ferment more? But first and foremost for us, Aida, can you speak a little bit more about what were the highlights for you? I will say that, I mean, I appreciated every part of the program because I went through a process of empowerment because I was very doubtful. Even when I uh, was asked to serve as chair, 
I never thought I could do that uh, in my department. Uh, but after five years, I proved to myself that actually, yes, I could do that and even more. Uh, but this program gave me the tools to beginning with the assessments. And we Tell were us about talking. the assessments. Can you share a bit about the assessments and, and how you kind of like took that information and it helped you build your own toolkit? Yes, the, the assessments were, uh, we were asked to complete some of those initially. We have the Hogan uh, assessment and the MBTI self-assessment. And uh, also we did something on diversity and intercultural development. And uh, as we completed this service, we had the opportunity to do a one-on-one -on -one meeting or have a session with the coaches that gave us more access to the background based on our results in the service. And that unveils so much, especially the strengths. I didn't know I had them or that these were things that were valued in leadership. Yes. And so in that sense, it did empower me. Uh, but there was not just that, but the context itself because when we came together then as a group, after having completed those assessments, I remember when they said, all right, all of um, like this group were showing strengths in this area, in that area. And then as we met in small groups and then went back to the larger groups, uh, we had such a powerful uh, encounter with different kinds of leaderships, even among ourselves. We learned that there's not one form, not just one way of being a, an, an excellent leader. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And that there's different ways of leading and leading well, right? Precisely. Mm -hmm. Maria? A big realization for me was that um, th there's a sense that leadership has to happen from a very wholesome and strong uh, place always like that and I, I have a saying since i was a child you know joan of arc died you know you don't need to be joan of arc again <laughs> every second of your lives mm -hmm. and as a woman i've been kind of growing into that but it, this this actually uh, you know proved that you don't have to be that you know you can be vulnerable you can actually be disabled you know, but because I was professionally, I, I came from very traumatic positions. And at first, I remember that I always wanted to just talk about it as if this were a kind of group therapy. It was not. Mm -hmm. It was a leadership training session. And it was very fruitful for me to realize, okay, I can live with this. Everyone understands, you know, because we all have our different predicaments or traumas. And, but we're here to do something else. And to me, that was the most valuable part, to be able to be in a safe space and to be in a space where I would be recognized without having to be licking wounds or anything, uh, you know, kind of wasting time, let's say. No, um, that empowered me as a leader very, very strongly. Again, we were in the middle of the pandemic. Um, we were meeting on Saturdays afternoons, yes, we were. which is the time when a lot of people are supposed to be resting a bit. 
the COVID fatigue is very real. Yes, it is. So we were carrying that. And I don't remember a single time thinking, I can't do this because I'm exhausted. I used to think I am exhausted, but I want to do this. You know, that was that was what this space meant for me. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's really surprising because Saturdays is like by Friday afternoon, you're a beat, right? So to think in the middle of the day, I've got to be on the Zoom call and for three hours, right? Yes. And yet you're saying that it was, I guess in the beginning it wasn't that, right? In the beginning it was right. like, oh, wait, what's going on here? And I got to... Yeah sacrifice my Saturday so when did that turn around for you oh just the second time around oh you know the first time I was really tired and saying oh my gosh I don't think I can last but at the end of those three hours I felt so renovated I felt so I I, you know I want to think about this this is going to help me think about this you know it kind of helped me other than taking time off and drowning myself a bit more it actually helps me rebuild and it gave me energy that I needed so you know it it was it was very positive that that influence Um, it also helped me put macro questions in order Mm. In ways that, I mean, nobody, who gets this kind of training in a PhD, you know? And at best, we are conditioned to be mothers, to be señoras, to be, you know, all those nightmares of feminism, Mm -hmm. because we're Latinas, we're supposed to clean toilets, you know, we're supposed to be the wives of the gardeners, (laughs) Uh, you know, all those myths, terrible myths that we have to live with. So we are exhausted to begin with, but in the middle of the pandemic, the sense of care of others that we have been conditioned with, and I kept thinking of Carol Gilligan's in a different voice and, and how that marked me when I was young. But then I realized as a Latina, this is much worse. It's not just the moral conditioning of taking care of others. It's just that as a Latina, I have to take care of the whole village practically, you know? Um, and it's very heavy. But for the first time I found myself in a room full of women who were giving me energy because we're all in the same boat, but nobody's whining, nobody's complaining, nobody's saying blah, blah, blah. We all went you know, ahead and helping each other with strategies. It was, it was very uh, re-energizing, you know, and, and that, that was, and, and as I said, in the second month, I already came to it, you know, not thinking, oh, I do have to do this. Um, I remember I got COVID, at the end of the first year that summer and that I think I actually skipped one because of that Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was the one time when I just the the fatigue the COVID fatigue for me has been terrible it took me almost a year to get over the dread Um, but it it, you know this it, it this was never something that I would say this I don't want to do this you know it was very much yeah I don't know how did you feel about it yeah, same thing. And for me, I was just excited from the beginning. So, and I will always look forward to our Saturday meetings. And uh, another important component of the of the program is that we had a website. And in the website, in case for whatever reason you had to miss one of the meetings, these were recorded, or at least most of the sections. And then we would have access to that and also to the material that we made so we could still join, maybe not... Uh, not uh, be present that kind Saturday. Kind of a, a synchronous, 
synchronously. <laughs> uh, but then we got to, again, we didn't miss uh, that, the content of the program and just seeing people virtually just mm-hmm. at a different time. Now that you've gone through the program, right, and you've had the experience of assessments, we had um, professionals come in and speak about fundraising, financial literacy, both for personal and institutional. We had presidents, we had deans, we had database, we had foundation officers. I mean, we, we had such a wide range of amazing colleagues and professionals speak to you. What would you say now, you know, the transformation where do you see that? In what three areas of your life and your leadership do you see that transformation? Um, the major transformation for me is that I was able to gain confidence in myself uh, because I went through that famous loop of competence, confidence. And, uh, and I believe the program not only made me realize the strengths that I had, but it also provided me uh, quite a bit of information and resources that I didn't have. So I built the competence, uh, and that really, uh, like in real ways, gave me confidence. And uh, as uh, another area, I will say, because it, the part of the framework of the program and it wasn't just one part of it, but throughout there was that sense of um, preoccupation for wellness, that we do this, but we care for ourselves and have that as a priority. We even talk about how do you set boundaries. Uh, we talk about uh, financial literacy I and mean, important aspects that, I mean, I was never trained on that. And uh, as uh, Maria mentioned, the the cultural myths that are there, right? That the numbers only the men in the house takes care of the numbers, and uh, but then realizing that no, I I have the competence needed, I have the skills, so I'm gonna learn more about that. So it just opened a, a whole new area. Uh, of possibilities for me in learning about that. Learning finances also at an institutional level, that was very enriching. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel prepared, but at the same time now I realize I'm, because I had been exercising leadership in all that I do. During the program was that time that the some members of ACTUS, the Academy of Catholic Hispanic Theologians in the U.S., of the US uh, approached me to nominate me to be vice president. But years back, I have said, no, I don't think I'm ready or I know enough about that. I don't think I'm, I, I could do that, right? After the program, or as I was going through the program, then I said, no, I, I am ready to step into this position. And when a couple of people approached me to nominate me for the position of vice president, then I said, yes, if I can serve the organization in this way, I'll do it. I'm, I'm ready. I'm happy to serve. So that was one major one. Wonderful. And Maria, for you? Um, 
The confidence is is the central one. Um, so it wasn't so much to think, okay, this is going to equip me to go immediately. And I looked, I looked at the at the at the job searches. You know, there were positions of provost and dean and president, and I I, I allowed myself to imagine myself in those positions. When I went deep into the job descriptions, that's when I found out that there were requirements that I'm, I'm not, it's not that I'm equipped, I'm not equipped. Uh, I was dean once at the University of Puerto Rico, so I know the demands of these jobs. But, you know, when the fundraising, for instance, has to knock out, you know, the, the, the mindfulness about teaching, I think that that has to be redefined in deanships and it's not being redefined. You know, all these positions are fundraisers first and foremost because of the economics of universities. Mm-hmm. And you didn't want to. I think that, I think that it's confidence, yep. but you also discovered I really want to be spending my time exactly. and energy doing yeah, this yeah. instead. Exactly. And so exactly. although this position, I can do it. Because exactly. I think one of the things that women have to be careful about is that they feel like they have to be so prepared to step into a position. Yeah. And um, a lot of positions, you got to learn them because each organization is different. Yeah. And you learn them as you go along. You can bring some of the skills, but you're also learning them along the way. But I think what I hear you saying is, I build the confidence in me to say, this position looks good and I could do it. Yeah. But you know what? I want to be doing ABC. Exactly. And this position exactly. won't allow me to do exactly. ABC. And, and uh, this, is, this is also about the the place of humanities right now at universities many of this kind of upper echelon administration they don't only cover humanities humanities is the tiny region and the periphery most of them want you to be thinking about you know sciences and social sciences and uh, you know quite frankly that's that's the priorities about grants for instance being the lifeline of all professors is something that for us in humanities is not it hasn't happened as part of our training. So how do we change that? But if the money's not there, you know, if we don't have the fellowships, if we don't have the same grants, then how do we do this? That kind of position, I would love to go into. But that's not what most are being advertised as. You need to be, you know, wanting to fundraise for sciences and for um, areas that are not exactly what I'm prepared to uh, to do so, I, I think that's it's part of the larger context, not so much yeah. that the, yeah. And every context mm-hmm. is a little bit different. Yeah. So as we end uh, this um, time together, um, what would you say to the next cohort of women that are going to participate in Latinas in leadership? Work in conjunto. You know, try try to get to know as many Latinas as you can. Um, both in your institution, but especially outside of your institution. Um, I'm in an institution where I was the only Latina in the college for 29 years. The only Latina, you know, I mean, it was a very lonely track. And one of the reasons why it was so traumatic for me, because nobody understood what I was talking about, you know, just from the Latina perspective. Then there were three, and the other two just left. You know, so I'm back to being the only one. So when you're in that context, then that's very different from being at a place, for instance, like Rutgers, that has a lot of Latinas. So if you are blessed to be in such 
uh, a place, then contact, connect, work together in conjunto, and especially in places of theological education, that's that's critical. It has to be. Um, I would say to the younger generations, work together, you know, collectively, collaboratively, in conjunto. Mm-hmm. And on my end, I will say, uh, or the words that I would like to share to the next groups, hopefully this will continue. This program will have many more yes, will. Latinas yes, will. in Leadership <laughs> 2.0, <laughs> 3.0. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. And, and that is something that it, it just as part of the program, we realize we, we have it. It's just gaining that confidence and the program will provide you just more resources to build the competence or more competence. Uh, but you have, you, you yourself are unique and uh, un granito de sal Exacto. cambia la comida. You know? mm-hmm. So you are the salt y of que the no earth. Ha perdido su saborcito. Y no hemos perdido el saborcito. No, no. <laughs> Gracias, oh, ladies. Um, Aida and Maria, what a joy it is to again be with you and now in person, and for your contributions as a sage, for your contributions as a participant, and may you continue to um, salt the earth, right? Yes. Salt our communities. Thank you. Thank you, you Joan. Thank you, Joanne. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides these podcasts as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.